Praise God. If you got your Bible this morning, uh, I want to get started. I want to kind of pick up a little bit as to uh, where we left off last Sunday. I'm still high from last Sunday. If you weren't here last Sunday, you missed half your life. And uh, so uh, I'm still I'm still uh, just reeling from last Sunday. I'll give you about a five-minute recap, and then we're just going to pick up. Last Sunday, we, or, or really for the past couple of months, we've been in a series or been talking about the Master, the Master of the Universe, God is the master of everything. Jesus is Lord of all. He's, he's the King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha the Omega, the beginning, the end, the firstborn from the dead, the Lion of Judah, the Prince of Peace. I mean, on and on. He is the continent. He's just bad to the bone, right? And whenever he moves in, then he causes you or changes you and helps you master different facets or areas of your life. And last week, we just bragged on God. We just started looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. God introduces himself to his creation. Uh, everybody, you know, most people in America are familiar with the Bible. And you tell them, uh, you know, read the Bible. They open up to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And that's where God introduces himself to his creation. And we see there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning, God, or in the beginning, Elohim is the word that's used. 2,500 times in the Bible, that word Elohim him is used so last week we just started looking at what does Elohim mean if in the beginning Elohim created it all who is Elohim and that word Elohim means a transcendent being just means all-knowing all-powerful all-encompassing all-present is is the God that we serve what's he here for he says that he uh, well I'll read or actually I put it in your in your bulletin this morning Elohim is a transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present being who exercises extraordinary control in human affairs. And he is responsible for the bestowal of unusual benefits. Now, this is a Jewish definition. This is a person that's trying to put into human words what God is. And, and, and how many of y'all know you're going to run out of adjectives? But they did a pretty good job. I mean, to say that Elohim in the beginning, a transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-encompassing being who's involved in human affairs and is responsible for every benefit, anything you could ever enjoy, he's responsible of all of it. And it says, what did he do? It says that he created the heavens and the earth. That word created just means that he fashioned, or it actually means he sculpted. He carved, he created the heavens and the earth. Now I'm going to ask you this morning uh, to use your imagination. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to let your mind go a little bit. Uh, the, really, something unusual, quite uh, to me, powerful happened to me uh, this this week. I was just upstairs studying and just praying, and all of a sudden, I just begin to cry, I begin uh, to weep. And I don't, I don't always do that. If I ever get choked up up here, it's just because as a pastor, you just want people to get it. You're just like, my God, I want uh, like like Paul said. He says, I I want people to 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 grab hold of what has grabbed hold of me. 
And Paul, he's just trying to get people. He's like, my God, if you could just uh, grab hold of them like you've grabbed hold of me, then, then that's what his heart was. So sometimes I'll hear preacher teaching. I will do that. But this was, this was just different because I just felt like, is it doing funny stuff? Oh. I just felt like uh, that. Uh, that, that sometimes in church we have lights and cameras and we have all of this type of stuff and we create an atmosphere of wonder and splendor or we try to. But lots of times we don't uh, 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 allow ourselves to, to lock into his splendor and lock into his majesty and lock into just how bad he is that, that we'll fabricate, you know, that, that with our own hands and our own mind uh, we create an atmosphere without ever just uh, going to his atmosphere. So I'm encouraging you this morning just to allow your mind to go and, and, and allow yourself to vision and picture a transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-encompassing being creating and fashioning this world that we live in. Isaiah chapter 6, uh, the Bible says in verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple what's Isaiah saying there Isaiah uh, he knew how to get a glimpse of God and God showed him a picture of himself and, and Isaiah he says I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train what's the train mean choo choo no not that train uh, the, the train or his robe if all of you remember Princess die when she walked down the aisle years ago her train was 50 or 60 feet long and that train just it, it showed of her royalty well Isaiah he says whenever I saw the Lord he was high and lifted up and his train it didn't have a length it just filled the expanse of heaven and he said next after that he says and I saw him sitting there on the throne I just want you to picture this being and his train flowing just filling up the temple and he's sitting there what's the next part of the verse says and he says and seraphim are flying and circling around the throne of God can you just imagine these angels and he says some of the angels uh, or, or all of the angels had six wings they had two wings on their head two wings coming out of their back that they flew with and two wings coming out of their feet so these six winged beings are flying around God, the transcendent, bad-to-the-bone being who's sitting on the throne, and they're circling him, and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And this is the picture of our Creator. This is the picture of Elohim. And he's sitting there. What's he doing? He, he just magnifies. The Bible says that there's no shadows in heaven. There's no darkness in heaven. That he gives it light. That all of eternity, uh, he is the light source for. And there he is. Well, now I'm going to pick up. Because in, 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 we're going to go to verse 2. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2. Because Genesis 1.1 1, 1 says that in the beginning, Elohim with his train filling the temple, this all-powerful God, he created the heavens and the earth. And yet verse 2 says, And the earth was void, 
and without form. The earth was void and without form. Now, I don't know about you, but this God that we're describing right now doesn't seem like a God that would create a world that was void and without form. The word void there, you can see it on your, uh, on your, on your bulletin there in number one. The word uh, without form is the word tohu. Originally, whenever it was written, it was the word T-O-H-U. And it means a formless, chaotic mess. A waste, a worthless thing with no purpose and barrenness. The word void is the word bohu, B-O-H-U. And it means a scene of disorder, confusion, and lack of arrangement with disarray or with chaos. So let's put the two verses together. Are y'all tracking with me? Let's just put them together. In the beginning, Elohim. This thing. Give me that thing. In the beginning, let's just, let's just, we're just going to put these, put, put all of it together. In the beginning, this Elohim that we just described, this magnificent person that knows everything, He has all the power and he's everywhere at the same time. He created the heavens and the earth. And yet the earth is is chaotic, in disarray. It has no purpose. It has no function. And it's utterly useless. Well, I don't know about you, but that's not the God that I serve. The God that I serve is the one that sits on the throne whose train fills the temple. That's the one I worship. That's the one I like. That's the one I respect. That's the one I talk to because he is a God of order, of arrangement, of of, of non-chaos. He keeps things orderly. Nobody in here has a hand growing out of your head. All of you have just got a head and it's got eyes in the right spot. Nobody's got an eyeball over here and and your nose is not by your behind. Thank God. Uh, Every one of you in here, the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He fashioned you. He created you so that your, your endocrine system and your digestive system and your reproductive system, all of that works together in unison. Flaw You don't even have to think about uh, swallowing. You don't have to think about these things. Your body just works. Why does it work? Because he created it to work. He is the all-knowing, the all-powerful. He is all of that. So your body, we, we went to Vegas uh, when, man, a few years ago, and we went to bodies exhibits. I've maybe ex- uh, shared this with some of you before, but they have a whole exhibit in Las Vegas where they've taken live cadavers and they've made a, like a museum that you can walk through and you see these cadavers. And some of these cadavers are 16-year-old kids. Some of them are six-month-old babies. Some of them are 70-year-old. Some of them are obese. Some of them are athletes. And you walk through this maze and eat 
each room is a different system. They have the endocrine system. They have the reproductive system. And what they'll do is they'll melt that whole body away except for the reproductive system. You go in the circulatory system and they have taken that body, injected it with a polymer, and to the tips of the finger they have shown where blood travels in your body. That's why whenever you prick your finger, blood comes out. Every part of your body has blood vessels. So they injected this body with a polymer, then they dip it in acid and it eats all of the body away except for every capillary and every vein. And it looks like a body is standing there except it's nothing but the blood vessels. The Bible says the life is in the blood. You walk in there and you find out life is in the blood. That's why if you make a tourniquet on something, it'll fall off because your body has to have it. And you walk out of there and it shows you a baby, a real baby, a week old, a month old, six months old, nine months old, people, babies that have died. And it shows you all the way through it. And we spent hours in there just being fascinated at the expertise of God, being fascinated at just how fearfully and wonderfully, how he's thought of everything. Well, if he's thought of everything, why did this God in chapter 1, verse 1, create an earth that's without arrangement and without chaos? Well, we have to go to the Bible and find out. We got to go to the scriptures and find out what happened between verse number 1 and verse number 2 because something had to happen. There had to be something that happened. And, and we see it in uh, Isaiah chapter 45. How many of y'all tracking with me? Am I talking too fast? I'm talking too fast, huh? Isaiah chapter 45, verse number 18. Got 20 minutes. That's plenty of time. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. Here, Isaiah is talking, and we start to get some insight into what's going on here. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. It says, For thus says the Lord. Who's talking here? Elohim is talking here. Who's Elohim? This transcendent being of awesomeness. He is doing the speaking here. And he says, For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens, who is Elohim. He formed the earth and he made it. He established it. He did not create it in vain. That word vain there is the word tohu. In other words, he's saying here, he's saying God created and fashioned and established the earth. And he did not make it chaotic. He did not make it in disarray. He did not make it without form or purpose or function. He actually says, the next part of it, he says, he formed it to be inhabited. Or God created it for us. He created it for his family. Well, if God created it correctly what happened between chapter 1 verse 1 of Genesis and chapter 1 verse 2 of Genesis something had to take it from a state of perfection I believe when God created it he made it it says right there very clear he established it he made it correctly and 
perfectly. Well, what happened in between the verses? Well, we know scientifically that, that our, our planet that we live on is four and a half billion, that's with a B, four and a half billion years old, that they've scientifically proven that. And I'm not going to try and get too deep here this morning, but you understand this is where science and Christians butt heads. Bong, 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 bong. Darwin, Jesus, Darwin, Jesus, Darwin, Jesus. Back and forth for the past thousands and you know, hundreds of years. This is where we're going back and forth between uh, how, the, the, how did the earth come about. And, and, and the, the reason that there's such a conflict is if the earth is four and a half billion years old and this book only covers a span of 6,000 years, where's the other 4.49 billion years that are lost? Because this book right here only goes 6,000 years. They trace that back to Adam and Moses. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross. 4,000 years before that since, since uh, uh, the, the patriarchs. and Moses. So where's the other billions of years? Well, the, well this book is not, not a history of the universe. It tells us who created the world, but you understand it doesn't cover four and a half billion years. Who wants to carry that around? Nobody. Nobody wants to carry a book that, that covers four and a half billion years. So there must be large chunks of time that are not uh, allocated in here. There must have been in Genesis 1-1, God created it perfect. And maybe it was perfect for a billion years or two billion years. And the dinosaurs, ah! How many of y'all know they're real? You know, Christians are like, ain't no such thing as a dinosaur. Go to the museum, fool. Go to Ross Perot's museum in Dallas. I've been there. They are real. I mean, that the thing, you could touch their teeth. They're real. They're absolutely real. Well, where are they at? They aren't in scriptures. Well, there must have been a world that was created perfect like your body that fit and functioned and was awesome and it performed. But something happened between verse 1 and verse 2 that made the earth all of a sudden become purposeless and become formless and become chaotic. What happened? Well, this is the debate of some people. Well, it was a meteor that came and knocked the earth or maybe it was the great polar shift that froze everything instantly you know uh, there's all these different theories as to what has happened to our planet and the Bible doesn't, I love that God works with science. It doesn't work against science. The Bible confirms what, what's going on. It doesn't refute what's going on. And here there must have been maybe a couple billion years and some event happened that all of a sudden destroyed our planet. How many of y'all glad God had a plan? Because if you finish verse 2, you start to see him implement his plan to restore order back to our planet. Well, what was the event? Well, it could have been any number of things. Personally, I think the Bible says in Luke chapter 17 that all of the disciples, 70 disciples, I love that Jesus was a multiplier. He started with 12. It wasn't long. He had 70. And he has commissioned these 70 disciples to go out and do the same works that he was doing. And one day these 70 disciples run up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Master, they call him Master. I like it. Master Jesus, uh, 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 the devils are subject to us 
in your name. That whenever we speak your name, the devils leave out of people's life. And what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't high five them or chest bump them. He doesn't do any of that. He says, fellas, he says, don't get excited because the devils leave in my name. He says, I I rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He says, don't get so excited because devils leave at my name. Get excited because you're going to heaven. And his, his reasoning is, is he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning down to the earth. So in other words, some time ago, there was an event in history where all of a sudden the devil becomes an idiot. We're going to read that in just a minute. How big of an idiot he came. And he went from serving on the mountain of God to like lightning flashing, Jesus said, he was kicked out of heaven and he was put on our planet. And this is just personal. This is just my personal belief. Maybe it was a meteor. But I believe that God's earth was perfect. But it seems to me every time the devil shows up, things get chaotic, out of order. Things get broken. They get nasty. They get gnarly. And they get in, uh, in, inhabitable. How do you say that? There you go. They get that whenever he shows up. So I believe that, that whenever Jesus, the Bible says, he says, I saw the, de- the devil fall like lightning and he came to our planet. So th- last week we bragged on God. This week we're going to, I don't want to say laugh at the devil, but pretty much uh, I want to look at this other figure or the anti-master. Last week we hung out with the master. This week I want to look at uh, uh, the devil. Because when he shows up, not good things happen. But, but he is a defeated foe. So I want to look at in scripture who the devil is. Where he came from. How he became the devil. I want to show you his past. His present. What he's doing right now. And his future. How many of y'all checking with me? Amen. Thanks dear. That's why I bring you. I bring you. I took you out the trunk. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Right, romance. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize. Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight. We're gonna find out how the devil became the devil. Have you ever wanted to know? Some people don't believe in the devil. I had a lady tell me the other day. She goes, "I believe in God, but I don't believe in the devil." All right. So maybe you're, maybe you're like that. You say, I don't really believe in the devil. Let's find out how he became who he became. Because again, I believe whenever he comes into perfectness, he messes things up. But I know that God, um, he had a remedy. All along, God had a plan. And if you finish reading the second verse, he says, The earth was without form and was void, but the Spirit of God began to move on the face of the deep. 
So all of a sudden, after however many years, our world went from being really good to really bad. But all of a sudden, God decides, I'm going to show up and I'm going to fix this situation. And I'm going to create a being in my likeness and in my image. And I'm going to put him in the earth. And his name is going to be Adam, which means God-man or speaking spirit that makes him different than a monkey. I'm going to put him in the earth and I'm going to tell him to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion over the earth and through him I'm going to bring a seed in my likeness that is my son and he's going to come through this lineage and he's going to restore order to this planet. Everybody say amen to that. So next week, we'll talk about man. This week, we're hitting, we've hit Elohim. Now we're going to hit Beelzebub. And then next week, we're going to find out what's our part or what is man's part in this. I wasn't planning on this becoming a, a Hatfields and McCoy miniseries, but I guess it is. It's turning into a miniseries. This is the Mark, Mark Burnett Bible series. But next week, we're going to hit man. But right now, I want to hit Beelzebub. That's his name, Lord of the Flies. Ezekiel chapter 28 Verse number 11, or verse number 12, it says, You were, he's speaking about the devil. God is talking about Lucifer. He says, You were the seal of perfection. You were full of beauty, and you were full of wisdom, and you were perfect in beauty. That word beauty there is the word yofi, and it just means he was perfect in physical form. He was flawless in symmetry. There we again, we see our Elohim... He doesn't create craziness. He created this being as perfect and as flawless, perfectly in symmetry. Both both biceps were the same. Come on, if you're a boy, you know what I'm talking about. It's like if you're right-handed, you got a real good, you got, whoa, yeah, look at here. But you don't ever show nobody your left. It's like, right? <laughs> it's really sad. Uh, but, but this being, he's perfect in symmetry. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God, and every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, jasper the sapphire, the tur- turquoise, and emerald with gold. How many of y'all think the devil, what, he, what the devil looked like? He's describing what he was adorned with. God fashioned him somehow with all of these precious stones and it says that the workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes some type of instruments were were connected to him or a part of him it says the workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created let me stop right there let me just say this the devil is a created being Let me say this, he's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient, and he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, and he's not everywhere at the same time. He is not Elohim. Sometimes we magnify the devil, but Elohim, he says, I created you. I'm the boss. How many of y'all think he's the boss? He says, you were the anointed cherub or angel who covers. He says, I established you. 
You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, or as Amplified says, of your commerce, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you over covering cherub from the midst of the fiery stones. Why? Because your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. And I'll be real honest. Last night, you know, the past couple of days while I'm studying, I read this and I'm just going, yeah, God, get him. Oh, yeah, karate chop. But, but all of a sudden, I really, I got, I felt so sorry and so sad for the devil. What potential. I mean, he was the holy cherub. He actually guarded the mountain of God. And if you go back to Isaiah chapter 6, if you even go back to the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, God said, I want you to build me this gold box. And on the top of that box, I want you to put two angels and I want you to point their wings at each other like this on top of the gold box. And my spirit is going to dwell in between these angels. That's where my spirit is. And apparently he was one of the anointed cherubs that was in the mountain of God that stood next to the throne of God. He had a, an incredible opportunity. What a position. And yet his beauty and and the reason it made it made me sad is because he's still doing the same thing today he hasn't changed a bit he's still trying to get people to trust in their commerce and their trading trust in their own opportunities trust in their own wisdom wisdom trust in their own beauty and he's he's doing the same thing he's always done and yet we see the result of it isaiah chapter 14 i'm gonna read one more And we're talking about this is how he became who he became. He is not Elohim. Isaiah chapter 14. I mean, I'm glad you came to church. Verse 12. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. He calls him a son. He says, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, five I wills here. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. No, sir, you will not. Verse 15, uh, this is God's response. He says, you will be brought down to Sheol or to hell is what that means. You will be brought down to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. I love this verse. He says, and will consider you saying, is this the one who made the earth tremble? Is this the one who shook 
kingdoms? Is this the one who made the world? Here it is. He made the world as a wilderness. Is this the one that was capable and able to do this to the world, to kingdoms, to nations? This thing right here? What's that mean? There's going to come a day when God's going to turn back the banisters of heaven. He's going to just open the curtains up and we're going to get to see the devil for the first time and apparently our response is going to be is this the one that caused all of the calamity is this the one that gave us all of the problems that's why Jesus said listen don't get excited because they listen to you in my name I saw what God did to him God ruined that man put him down to the lowest pit is this the one the last part of the verse, it says, he says, and he did not open the house of his prisoners. What's that mean? I just, before we move on, I want you to understand the devil has no desire to ever let any of his prisoners go. He has no desire. There's no goodness in him. The, the, the worst part about hell is not the heat. The worst part of hell is the lack of goodness. And he, has, he says here, he says he will not let his prisoners go. And sometimes we see him just as a little pitchfork, you know, and, and he's got a pointy tail. But listen, uh, he's beyond that. And he's malicious and he's horrible and he's nasty. But now we're about to get to his present. That's how he became who he became. Now let's see what he's doing right now. Because how many of y'all know he's not dead? He's still alive. The devil's still alive. And we've got to go to the New Testament and find out what's going on. Colossians chapter 2. I've only got about five more minutes. So y'all keep trekking with me. Colossians. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Second Corinthians chapter four. We're going there. Colossians in a minute. Everywhere Jesus went, he was always dealing with the devil. How many of y'all remember that? The madman of Gadara, he's out there cutting himself, slicing himself, just cutting himself, throwing up on people. I don't know what all he's doing. He, the Bible says he lived amongst the tombs. I mean, he's just, over. Jesus showed up and just said, come out. And the devils left Totally left that man with just two words from Elohim. Two words. We see other people, the man that comes up and he says, my, my, my son won't quit throwing himself into the fire. Can you imagine being a parent of a child that won't quit throwing himself in fires? What's wrong with him? Jesus walks up and says, come out. Leave him. Boom. The demons totally they got to go. Why? At the name of Jesus, they have to leave. Well, here, the, the Jesus is always having to deal with, with the devil. Well, in, in, in this verse here, chapter 4, verse number 3, it says, if our gospel, or if what we're preaching about, if we're telling people, inviting them to church, if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it is veiled to those that are perishing. Whose minds, the Bible says here, the God of this age has blinded them. And they do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Well, we saw where the devil came from. Here it tells us what he's doing right now in 2013. He is, the Bible describes him, as the God of this age or of this world. Or in other words, he has a right 
to be on this planet. The reason he has a right to be here is because Adam gave him that right. Whenever Adam sinned, he signed over his dominion and gave it to the God of this age. But how many of y'all know his age is coming to an end? Well, while he's here, what's he doing? It says here that he's going around trying to blind and distract the minds and the eyes of people so that they won't hear the gospel because if they hear the gospel they aren't under his dominion anymore and the Bible in Revelations calls him the accuser of the brethren so he just goes around just like a just like a snake he comes sliding into people's lives into people's situation and he's trying to keep them from coming to the knowledge of God that's what he's doing right now now let's see what his future is Revelation chapter 20 how many of y'all know it's not going to be good for him? Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Whew, this one gives me goosebumps. Having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain was in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon. Who's the dragon? The devil. Can't you just see him? Come on, use that imagination again. All of a sudden, uh, Archangel Michael, what's he look like? I bet he looks tough. I mean, I bet he looks like like that 300 movie times like 3,000. He's like, you have to give him a whole bunch of extra zeros. I mean, he comes and he grabs the dragon and he's got a chain to a bottomless pit. What does he do? with it? It says he laid hold on the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years and cast him into this bottomless pit and puts a seal on him. So his future is not bright. And yet that does not deter him from still uh, trying to manipulate and mess with people in 2013. Why? Well, because he can't hurt God. How many understand that the devil has no power over God? He has no, He can't do anything to God, the only thing he can hurt is God's kids. And God is just like we are. You can chop me up in pieces, just don't touch Ansley. Don't touch Noble. Don't mess with my family. You can do whatever you want to me, just don't mess with my kids. Well, he can't do anything to God, but he knows that the heart of the Father, the Bible says that he would leave the 99 just to go out after one. He would spare a whole city just for one. He doesn't want any of his kids to perish. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The only uh, tactic or weapon of the devil is hurting God's kids. So now how do we deal with him in 2013? I'm almost done. The last one. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. The first thing we've got to recognize is that he's real. He's not a fairy tale. 
He's absolutely real. The devil, he's the God of this age. He's on this planet. He's messing with people, blinding them. He's accusing the brethren. He's absolutely real. So, so we recognize that he's real, but I also want you to recognize that he's defeated. He's whipped. He has no power over you uh, as long as, listen, if they run up to Jesus and saying, in your name, we can, we can talk to them. Listen, you deal with him the same way Jesus dealt with him, the same way the disciples dealt with him. Uh, you have the same authority the same power with over him that they had. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, put it up on the screen. It says that God disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Go to the next one. In Jesus' name. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Listen, he is absolutely, he's whipped. It's just a matter of time until we're out of here and he goes down. All right, I got to read these last couple to you. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Well, we already did that one. Uh, the, the second thing is, is resisting. James chapter 4, verse 7. You want to know how to deal with the devil? It's very easy. Now listen, let me just say this real quick. Because sometimes people get the gift of suspicion. It's like, mmm, I don't feel so good. Mmm, you know, I've got to throw up. Or, you know, I've got a virus. It must be the devil. It may be what you ate last night. Just saying. Not everything is the devil. You know, it's like, I ain't got no money. It may be the plasma that's hanging on your wall. It's not everything is the devil. I'm just going to throw that out there because sometimes you start talking about the devil and people walk out of church like looking around like, they get real suspicious, like everything is the devil. No, let me, let me tell you, he's real, but he's defeated. And he can't, uh, you have a power and authority in Jesus' name that, that if you recognize him, then you can just, by what it says right here in James chapter 4, verse 7, what's it say? It says, therefore, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In other words, you're not afraid of him. Here it says that word flee actually means he will run in terror. That just means if you're submitted to God. Now, this is where some people get it wrong. They don't want to submit themselves to God. They want to live and act and do whatever they want to do and then wonder why they have trouble. Listen, if you can't control yourself, you'll never control the devil. You just won't. Now, it says here, if you can submit yourself to God, you resist him and he will run in terror from you. So you have to recognize whenever the devil is doing some stuff and it's not always him. But there are times whenever people come into my life or situations come up and I know uh, the devil's trying to mess with this right here. He's He's trying to mess with some things right here and then I can deal with that. How do I deal with it? In my own strength? No, I can't do nothing, you know. But but in the name of Jesus, through Jesus Christ, I say, no, you're not going to do that. No sir and then I, I speak to him now I, I don't have long conversations with the devil you know you don't see Jesus having long conversations you can see these people on TV they're like what is your name where are you from how long have you been here how old are you do you want to have dinner you know they're talking to the devil like they want to hang out with him no, no I don't have any conversations but I could you could tell him you resist him in the name of Jesus and he will flee from you the last verse I want to give you is Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 you want to know how to whip the devil Revelation chapter 12. 
You resist, you submit yourself to God, resist Him, and then this verse right here, it says, they overcame Him. Who's Him? The devil. How did they overcome Him? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word or by the words that they speak, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto the death. What's that mean? They didn't love their lives unto the death. They were submitted unto God. God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'll live for you, I'll serve you, I'll honor you. And it says that they were able to overcome every principality and power and with spiritual wickedness in high places. Every devil, they're able to overcome him with what? With the blood of the Lamb. In the Old Testament, they take that blood, they put that blood, every person that gets under the blood, the death angel has no power. The death angel just comes to the door and turns around. That's his only option with the blood of the lamb. That's it. There's no, there, there's no halfway. The blood of the lamb you overcome. And by what? By the word of your testimony. There your voice activates something. Your voice and, and faith in the blood of Jesus totally activates something. You say, oh, yeah, you're not doing that. Can't do that here. That's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Praise God. I've got to pray this morning. How I many of y'all love the Bible? Man, thank God for His goodness. I, listen, I know, listen, some of you, if you're a first-time visitor, you think, man, the devil, really? We just devoted, like, that. that's, that's why I gave, like, the third, first, first bit to Elohim. I ain't spending a whole time talking about the devil. I just ain't going to do it. No, sir. But, you know, I don't want you, some people walk away and think, man, I went to that church. All they did was talking about, like, devils and stuff it's craziness now listen listen next week we'll we'll get in to to where we are in the whole deal what god has designed for us he put us here for a reason for a purpose and you can't whip your enemy if you don't know anything about him if you don't know where he came from what he's doing now and what his defeat is you can't you you, you don't you don't uh, the bible says only a fool goes to war without figuring out his enemy and seeing if he has what it takes to win. Only a fool would go through life without ever recognizing that there is a God of this world. But, but I have the ability and the power through the name of Jesus to overcome. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you, Father God, uh, for your word again, once again. Thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, for your, uh, your ability to preach and teach. And thank you that the devil is a defeated foe, that you spoiled him openly and the day will come when we'll look and say is this the one who shook the nations who who messed up the world is this the one because he is totally utterly defeated we thank you father god for your word the entrance of your word giving understanding today giving shedding light and revelation upon him and showing who he really is that he is a defeated foe we thank you lord jesus that you conquered the grave that you're the master of it all and that as we submit ourselves to you we come under your lordship that no weapon formed against us can or shall prosper in the name of Jesus.